Good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? I especially am so thankful for all of our mothers, all of our women, all the ladies in the house who have poured into people's life because we wouldn't be here today without our mothers and the ladies in our life who have made us who we are. So thank you, and I'm, I'm so thankful for each and every one, one of you. My name is David McMinn, and I'm the pastor here, and it's a great joy to be your pastor. Over the last three weeks, we have been talking about what it means for us to be unchained from this death that we have. We, we have a great campus, we have a great church, we have a great facility, but we have a death that goes with it. And so, you know, as Adam said, it's also been a joy for me to go and talk to people and interact with people and hear about how God has impacted them, how God has unchained them, how God is working in their life, and how God is working in people's life through Rockbridge. And so I'm so excited to see where this goes, and I'm so excited and thankful for each of you guys. We've talked about how God has unchained us from slavery to sin and death, right? Scripture tells us that the one the Son sets free is free indeed. What a great gift that God gives us. And then last week we talked about our response to that is to live faithfully, to do what God has called us to do in life. I saw a power quote, powerful quote this week where someone said, don't ask what would Jesus do, but what would I do if I took the words of Jesus seriously in my life? I was like, wow, <laughs> that hit a little too close to home, right? Because there's things that Jesus tells me to do that I don't know that I'm always willing to step up and do. And one of those things that we have been talking about is generosity and how that we are called to give and live sacrificially. One of the greatest moments and examples in my life of sacrificial giving was actually not a financial gift, but it was the gift of someone's time in my life. I went to college, went to college in New Orleans and went to the Wesley Foundation. And there was a man named Gary. And he was a senior. I was a freshman. He was part of the Air Force ROTC. I was part of the Army ROTC. I didn't give him too hard a time that he was in a much lesser branch of the service. <laughs> but he took me under his wing. He said, this is a young man who I want to help grow as a man of God. And so for no other reason than his love and desire to do what God had called him to do, he took me under his wing. He made sure I came to the Wesley Foundation. He made sure I went to InterVarsity on Friday nights, and he just hung out with me. And he was a really neat guy. And I was just this ordinary person, you know, this regular old David, and he, had, he chose to be a part of my life. I'll never forget early in my freshman year, he called me up and said, David, we're going to go to the movies, and I want you to go with me. And so, of course, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And then not too long later, I had my friend Chip, who's still one of my best friends today, and he called me up and said, David, I want you to go to the movies with us. So I had to make a decision. Would I go with Gary or would I go with Chip? And Chip was another friend of mine, and so I, I, I kind of told a fib. So I called Gary up and I said, ah, something's come up. I just, I can't go to the movies with you. I'm going to have to go with, or I'm, I've got this other thing going on. And so Chip calls me. He's like, okay, come down. We're about to head out. And I come down, and Chip is in the car, and guess who's driving the car? <laughs> Gary had invited Chip and me to go to the movies, and they had both invited me, and I felt like the biggest, you know, most terrible person in the world. Here I straight lied to Gary to go hang out with Chip, and then it was right there in my face. But you know, Gary never once brought that up. Never once did he say, oh, I don't know if you're worth mentoring because you just lied to me. He just let it go. And throughout my freshman year, he was a huge impact, and a huge impact on me and the man that I am today because he gave sacrificially of his time. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to give. 
He didn't have to show up. He didn't have to pick me as that is the young man that I'm going to make sure grows in his faith. That was a sacrificial gift of his life that had huge meaning for me and still does today. You know, there's this phenomenon on social media, and maybe you've seen it. It's hashtag blessed. Anybody seen that? You know, where people are like, hashtag blessed, my life is good. Now, I think it started out innocently enough, right, that people really, truly felt blessed. Something good would happen in their life, and they would post about it on social media and be hashtag blessed. Found a parking spot at Walmart, hashtag blessed. <laughs> you know, these good things would happen. But then it kind of became this way to humble brag. Oh, got some new shoes, hashtag blessed. Went to a cool concert, hashtag blessed. Met a celebrity, hashtag blessed. Signed a million dollar contract, hashtag blessed. It became this way to brag about good things going on in our life and completely change the meaning of the word blessed. When we talk about being blessed, that is a gift from God. It's God saying that God's favor is upon us. And yes, sometimes it comes in material ways, We can be blessed in many different ways in our life, but it means that God is with us and God is on our side. But what's so amazing about God is when we are obedient to God, God blesses us. God lets us know that God is with us, that God is for us, and that God is is for there with us in the difficult moments. I think about salvation. Now, salvation is us saying yes to God, right? And then out of God's incredible blessing, when we are just called to be obedient, God gives us eternal life and God gives abundant life. Those aren't the point of salvation. The point of salvation is to bring us back into relationship with God. Because God is amazing, God blesses us when we say yes. Worship is like that too. I love coming to, on Sunday mornings and gathering with my church family. Derek is absolutely right. This is a family. But it's a family that always has room for one more, and I love that. But I love worshiping God with you through songs and scripture and preaching and communion. And I feel great. Does anybody else feel great on Sundays after worship? Yeah. Amen, right? That's not the point of worship. It's not. It feels great. But that's because God is awesome. The point of worship is to give a sacrifice of praise to God. And because God is awesome, God pours out his Holy Spirit upon us. And we feel wonderful. Because of what God does. When we are faithful, God blesses us. We find it in service too. Anyone like helping people, doing a good deed for their neighbor? We're made to feel good when we do that, but that's not the point of service. The point of service is to love God and love neighbor and show them God's love. And because God is amazing, God makes us feel good when we do it. And giving is the same way. When we give, God blesses us. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and say, like, if you give this amount, God is going to make sure that you're wealthy. No, I don't, I don't think that's scriptural. But I do believe, and my life has shown this, I believe this 100%, that if you are generous with what God has given you, God shows up in your life. God fills your life full of blessings and things work out. Things work out. And in those most difficult times, God is there blessing you, walking with you, in the deepest valleys. So today we're talking about sacrificial giving, but truly it could be about sacrificial living. That's what this is ultimately about. And we're going to talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan because I don't think there's a better tale of sacrificial living than this parable. So if you brought your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. If not, you'll see it on the screen. 
Starting with verse 25. I'll give you a second to turn there in case you're, or, or turn on your smartphone to your app and flip to the Bible app. It starts with verse 25. A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to gain eternal life? Another way of putting this, what must I do to get life in the age to come? Now, he was trying to test Jesus. This was a lawyer, probably a really smart person. He was trying to trip Jesus up. This was not a friendly conversation. He's, he's trying to get at Jesus so he can get him in trouble, right? He's trying to test him. Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? I love this because Jesus rarely just answers people. He often throws back a question and throws it back on the other person. He responded, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your being, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. In fact, this is the answer that Jesus gives when he's asked what are the most important commandments? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength, all your very being with everything you are. And love your neighbor as yourself. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right, so he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells one of the most impressive, iconic, and powerful stories, a parable. Parables are great because they give us truth, but we're stubborn, right? We don't want to hear truth. We don't want people to call us out and to tell us to live different. But the nice thing about parables is they get around our defenses, and right when we're not expecting them, they kind of smack us in the face and say, this is how you're called to live. They're awesome. Stories get in deep, and that's why Jesus often told stories. Jesus replied, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him up, and left him near death. Now it just so happened that a priest was also going down the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came to that spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. A Samaritan who was on the journey came to the man where the man was. was. But when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. Remember that phrase, he was moved with compassion compassion. The Samaritan man went to him, bandaged his wounds, tended them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on a donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two full days worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of of him, and when I return, I will pay you back for any additional cost. What do you think? Which one of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered the thieves? The legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy toward him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is a shocking story. Tell of a man who was going on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho and was beset by thieves and left for dead. He tells us that he was nearly dead, but he wasn't dead, but he was nearly dead. And then we hear of two holy people, one a priest, who are walking down the road, and they see him. They see a man who is nearly dead. Now what's interesting is a priest could not touch a dead person. It would make them unclean, right? They could not help a dead person. But this person wasn't dead. He was nearly dead. I'm sure he could see that he was still breathing, but he didn't want to risk it. He didn't want to get his hands dirty. He didn't want to mess up his religiousness, his cleanliness, By helping the man who had been injured, 
And so he sees the man, and he walks to the other side of the street, and he continues on his way. Then another man comes, a Levite. Now, priests were, were Levites, but they were a very specific group of Levites. The Levites were the people who took care of the city. They were kind of like government workers, but they were definitely people who, like priests, were set aside, holy, set apart, and they were supposed to live in different ways. And he sees the man. He's walking down the road. He sees the man, nearly dead, not dead, nearly dead, and knows that if, if he dies, then he will be unclean. And he has to make a decision. Do I focus on what I'm supposed to do religiously, or do I do what is right? And he too, this man of God, this holy person, goes to the other side of the street and keeps on moving. And then we hear about a Samaritan. Now, if you don't know what a Samaritan is, in, in uh, Judah and Israel, they had been divided the North Kingdom and the South Kingdom. And the North Kingdom had been conquered by Assyria. And when people of that time would conquer you, they would take off your people and they would bring in other people, other settlers, and you would kind of intermix. And so their beliefs and traditions and, and had gotten, they were Jewish, but they weren't really quite Jewish. And so the Jews looked down on them because they weren't pure. They weren't like them. And they believed slightly different than them. Actually, a really great example today is Palestine. You have the Jewish people who live there, who follow you know, the Torah and all of that. And then you have the Palestinians who are Muslims who follow a religion that developed out of Islam and Christian, I mean, Christianity and Judaism, similar beliefs. They are of descendants of the Jewish people who used to live there, some of them. They have that blood. And yet they believe slightly different. And so it's like Jesus saying, the Jewish people walked to the other side of the street. The Palestinian Muslim went and helped the man. And put him on his donkey and took him to an inn and bound up his wounds and gave two days wages for him to be taken care of and then said, I'll repay any other debt that is incurred. And then he asked this lawyer who was trying to test Jesus, who was trying to trick Jesus, who was trying to get Jesus to say something wrong, and he asked him, who was the neighbor? Who was the neighbor? And the man won't even say Samaritan. Did you notice that? He won't even say the Samaritan. This is how hated the Samaritans were by the Jews. He says, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus tells us to go and do likewise. Now there's one more piece that really will draw us into focus for us. In the story, Jesus said that the Samaritan had compassion on him. The Greek word that is used there is only used two other times in Luke. One, Jesus towards a woman, and the other in the, the parable of the prodigal son with the father towards the prodigal son. When, when Jesus is saying he has compassion, what he's really saying is he has compassion like God has compassion, like Jesus has compassion. So what he's saying is the Samaritan is more like God, more like Jesus, more like the way you're supposed to be, than the holy people. This is flipping everything on its head. Now we of course know that Jesus tells us to love our enemies. Samaritans are the enemy. And we know that eventually Jesus is going to send his disciples to all the world so everyone will know the good news. But we are supposed to have deep, incredible compassion. That's sacrificial living. When we give up something that's important to ourselves to help other people. I think a lot of times we're more like the priest and the Levite, right? 
We'd much rather walk to the other side of the street than get our hands dirty. But we're called to sacrificial living. So how does this affect how we live our life today? Well, I think most of us in this room have been deeply impacted by God. Now, we know the incredible generosity of God, right? In Romans 5, it tells us that, you know, someone might die for a good person. I love this passage. That's why I talk about it all the time. Someone might die for someone who's good, right? You might put yourself in the way and save someone's life who's good. But no one would die for a righteous person, right? Because righteous people kind of make us feel bad about ourselves because they're doing the right thing and we don't want to do the right thing. And then it says, but Jesus died for you while you're a sinner. Jesus, God's incredible and dynamic and wonderful love for you, for every person in this room, for every person in the world, is that he would send his one and only son. Maybe that's Jesus calling. <laughs> that he would send his one and only son so that all the world would know his love. That's the height and the depth. Yeah, height and depth, whatever. That is the incredible capacity of love that God has for you. And I hope that you have experienced that personally in your life because life is better. Life is more abundant. Life is more wonderful when you have said yes to that love. And if you haven't, I beg you to come and talk to me or talk to Randy or someone on the staff and, and so we can tell you about this love that God has for you and that you can give your life to God and you can experience it in a personal way. God's love for you is amazing. And the depth to which God is willing to go for your love. Talk about sacrificial giving. He gave his son so that we might have life and life abundant. What an incredible gift. And so I guess the question that we have in response is what will we do knowing God's incredible love for us? When I was thinking about this sermon, I was thinking about who in my life have displayed sacrificial giving. And the thing that kept coming to me, and it, you know, it is Mother's Day, are the women in our lives, our mothers, our grandmothers. I've had uh, women who are pastors in my life who have mentored me and loved me and given sacrificially. My biological mom gave me up for adoption because she wanted me to have a better life. My adopted mom sacrificed so that I could have the basic things and needs in my life. And I'm sure that she missed out on a lot of things. She worked a full-time job and yet was always there at home to help me with my homework, to write a meal on the table, and do all the wonderful things that moms do. Our moms, they sacrifice so much. Some of them sacrifice their hopes and their dreams because they feel called to stay at home. Some of them want to stay at home but have to sacrifice and, and, and work and bring in money for the family. And that's incredibly important. Whatever it is, you ladies have sacrificed so much for your family. So much so that when God, talking about compassion, says that he has compassion on people as a mom has compassion for her children. That you, within you, have the same kind of compassion that God has for all people. Moms are amazing. Moms have given sacrificially. Moms are the reason that we're here. That's how we're called to respond to be sacrificial, to live sacrificially for other people. I hope that you have experienced God's love in your life. I hope that you have experienced God's love through Rockbridge, that you feel loved, that you feel part of the family. 
Because I think we're doing amazing things here. God has given us this vision that I think is bold and powerful to make disciples, to develop leaders, to serve our communities, that for every dollar we spend on ourselves, we spend a dollar on our community. I think this is a bold vision. And God has bold plans. But one of the things that is holding us back is this debt. And we have a responsibility that we have committed to to this debt. And so through this campaign and this time, we're just asking you one simple question. As we talk about how God has unchanged you, what it means to live faithfully and to give sacrificially, all I want you to do this week is to ask one question. Lord, what do you want to do through me? Lord, what do you want to do through me? The man asked, who is my neighbor? And he tells the story of a Samaritan, the enemy, who goes and binds up the man's wounds, who was wounded, takes him to the inn, pays for his care, says, I'll take care of any extra debt. And then Jesus tells us to go and do likewise. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we talk about your prayer this week, in your GPS, you, ha- you have one of these. And I want you to take a minute today or by the end of the day before you leave, we've got pens out there, just to write your prayer for Rockbridge. You don't have to put your name on it. And you've seen this uh, beautiful sign that our prayer team's made next to where the donuts are. I know everybody goes to where the donuts are, right? You've seen this beautiful sign over there. It says, Lord, what do you want to do through Rockbridge? Well, I want you to write down your prayer because this whole thing is built on a foundation of prayer. What is it you want to pray for Rockbridge? What can we pray for together so that we can be the people that God has called us to be? So take this, fill that out. It's a little sticky note so you can put it up there and, uh, and let us be a church that prays together.